You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God showed great mercy to David. So, when someone is overcome in tragedy or sorrow, the problem is not in what they know, but rather in what they've forgotten. So the next time, you know, you find yourself in that kind of a a position, and uh, you're overcome by emotions, and you've lost your perspective on the things that are going on, please take some time out and just remember the things that God has blessed us with. Sometimes when you're experiencing a season of difficulty, it can be hard to see clearly. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Mike, he shares with you the importance of keeping yourself strengthened in the Lord. When you become bogged down with all sorts of emotions, it can be easy to forget all that the Lord has done in your life. Pastor Mike urges you to write down all the ways that the Lord has shown himself faithful to you and be reminded of his never-changing character within his word. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19 as he begins his message, Healing Wounds and Reconciliation. Last time together, if you remember, Absalom, David's son, has attempted to take the crown from his dad, David, and kill his father. But that has failed, as we discovered last time. In fact, it backfired on Absalom. Instead, in the battle, Joab, who was one of David's generals, outmaneuvers Absalom and his forces, and they decisively uh, defeated them. And in fact, we are told, notice in chapter 18 and verse 7, the people of Israel were overthrown, those who went out against David and his troops, there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. So according to our text, 20,000 of Absalom's troops were defeated in that uh, conflict. And also, Absalom in flight is killed. Now, news of his death has been made known to his father, David, and he greatly laments the loss of his son. Let's quickly go back to that previous chapter, chapter 18, and notice in verse 33, there we are told, then the king was deeply moved. And that phrase, deeply moved, can literally be translated undone. David was absolutely undone and went up to the chamber over the gate of the city and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, 
If only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. So David's grief is agonizing. The worst fears of his heart has been realized. His unrepentant son, and I want to emphasize that, Absalom was unrepentant, is gone from the earth. So listen, I wouldn't expect to see Absalom in heaven when we arrive at that uh, destination because of the fact that he was unrepentant before God. And his rebellious condition, he had now passed to the judgment of God. Now, news of David's outburst of grief, all of what we've just read there in verse 33, has gotten back to David's general, Joab, and now let's pick up in chapter 19 in verses 1 through uh, 3. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. That is, out of respect for David. For the people, we are told, heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed. In other words, they felt ashamed that they were rejoicing in being victorious in that battle because of the way that David felt the loss of his son. And they stole away when they flee in battle. Now, Joab's concern as the victorious general of David's army was that this should have been a time of great rejoicing for the troops, and it was turning into a time of sorrow and embarrassment because of David. And it also seems to him, that is to Joab, as if David is neglecting those who supported him, who sacrificed for him. But listen, in David's defense, we can understand this, his feelings, his emotions, the awful realization of the death of someone we love apart from God sometimes produces that kind of reaction. Isn't that true? And so in verse 4, once again, we read, let's go back to our text, verse 4, but the king covered his face, he's singing the same song, if you will, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. So rather... With great fanfare, right, there is a lack of rejoicing. You see, what's going on here is actually David is being mastered by his uh, feelings, by his emotions. And listen, he lacked, really, he was locked into excessive mourning and lack of perspective because of what had just taken place. Now, David's problem, let me suggest, was not in what he knew, Absalom's tragic death, and David, the role that he played in all of that. Remember, it was David's troops who went out, David's men who went out and uh, defeated Absalom's army and then also uh, killed uh, his son. His problem was in what he had forgotten. And what was it that he had forgotten? That God was still in control. Because it was God who actually gave Joab and his troops the victory that uh, day, that a great victory was won, and that he had many loyal supporters. David forgotten all of this, and that God showed great mercy to David. So, when someone is overcome in tragedy or sorrow, the problem is not in what they know, but rather in what 
they've forgotten. So the next time you, know, you find yourself in that kind of a, a position and uh, you're overcome by emotions and you've lost your perspective on the things that are going on, please take some time out and just remember the things that God has blessed us with. So that was the problem uh, for David. Now, Joab, appearing before David, rebukes him. Let's pick up now in verses 5 through 7. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all of your servants, that is, all those who went out and sacrificed uh, in this battle, who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and your daughters. You see, these were the things that David had forgotten. The lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. In other words, basically he's telling them, hey, David, snap out of it, would you? In that, verse, verse 6, rather, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. That's exactly what it seemed like to the people. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, So notice the sharp, uh, the sharp rebuke here. Now therefore arise and go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until uh, now. So basically, Joab is uh, saying to David, go out and encourage your people, or else you're going to uh, lose them. Well, how then did David deal with this conflict? And remember what this morning's message is all about, overcoming uh, conflict. Uh, healing for broken relationships. So at the rebuke of Joab, how did David respond? And basically, this is the same way that we should respond and the way that we should deal with conflict. Notice here, David takes the rebuke well. He does not try to defend himself or argue with uh, Joab. So listen, if you find yourself in a similar situation, you're dealing with someone whom you've had a broken relationship with, and they're expressing to you the things that have offended them. Someone comes to you and, uh, you know, uh, brings something to our attention, you know, some fault, something that we've done to injure them. Hey, listen, listen to that person. Receive what they're saying. Don't try to defend yourself. Begin to make excuses, you know, why you did the things that you uh, did. Notice there's an absence of that in David's uh, response here. So anyway, in verse 8, then we are told, notice the way that David responded, then the king arose and sat in the gate, rather than feeling sorry for himself, and they told all the people, saying, there is the king sitting in the gate, that would have been the gate of the city where they had sought a refuge from Absalom and his troops. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. And there, in the gate of the city, David speaks personally to all who gather. He addresses them with words of commendation and appreciation. In other words, he uses his voice to build them up. He doesn't point out, notice here, their faults. Now remember, he's also addressing those who went out to, uh, who aligned themselves with Absalom 
who engaged David's troops in this battle. So he doesn't bring that to their attention. He doesn't point out their faults. You see that? And so rather he's using his voice to not to condemn them, but rather to commend them. Notice that. And to also express his appreciation. And that's also the way that we should respond when we face any kind of a conflict, when we're dealing with someone who feels as if you know, we've injured them. Now, as David waited at Mananaim, that was the city of refuge, uh, where he stood in the gate of the city, the people had become anxious. Okay, let's pick up now verses 9 and 10. Now, all the people were in a dispute. Notice that they were in a dispute. They're actually arguing one with another. All of Israel, they're in this great dispute, and they're seeking how to uh, resolve that dispute. Now, all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed, notice there, they're confessing their, uh, their sin, their fault, whom we anointed over us has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the uh, king? You see that there? So they're waiting for David to take some kind of action. But, but David isn't taking any kind of action. He didn't want to place himself upon the throne. He wanted to be a unanimous decision on, all, uh, on the part of all of the tribes of Israel to bring him back as king. So what were they waiting for? What was that action that they were waiting for David to take? Well, maybe to become a dictator and punish all those who had opposed him. Or maybe just simply to resume the role of God's appointed representative to the nation. And notice the elders of Israel are slow to act. And why are they slow to act? They don't know what to do. There's this great dispute that's going on. So why were they slow to act, the elders of Israel? because they don't know what will happen to them when David resumes power. Remember, they rallied around Absalom. And once again, notice that word there in verse 9, dispute. You see, the dispute was what was best for the nation. Now, in this, you know, when we're resolving conflicts with another person, I think that foremost in our mind, we need to address the question, what is best for the other person? You see, that's what the elders were considering. What was best for the nation? So when you find yourself in a dispute with another person and you want to resolve that conflict, you should always be concerned about what's best as it relates to that particular situation or fall. You see that? And so that's what they were, that's what this dispute was all about. Those that they had put their trust in, that is Absalom, had plunged the nation into a civil war. And so now they have to address the question, what's best for the nation? Notice here, according to what is recorded, the people admit their mistake, that is, uh, placing Absalom upon the throne in David's place. They do not deny their responsibility and their sin. They remind each other of David's exploits, you know, all of the victories of David's, like, for example, over the Philistines, and how that he was at least partially responsible for bringing Israel back to the zenith of its 
uh, glory and all that he had done for the nation. There, notice again in verses 9 and 10. You know what's, what's kind of interesting here? They only seem to want David back after they uh, falsely or, or, or as they had placed Absalom on the throne and he had failed them. And in the same way, and I want to bring this down to personal terms, in the same way we often only decide to bring back King Jesus when our false kings fail, fail to bring us satisfaction or fulfillment. Now what are those kings that we enthrone upon the in our lives, what may be those kinds of kings? Well, it may be money. It may be power. It may be sex. You know, Alan Redpath, one of my favorite writers, commenting on this particular situation, says, and I quote, the folly of their allegiance to Absalom was clear. It had brought only misery and confusion. They were on the wrong side. That is Absalom's side. They had rejected their true king. And therefore, the situation was full of unrest. Listen, gang, when we fail to keep Jesus upon the throne, you can be sure that the only thing that you will experience will be chaos and unrest as well. So what's the point? Please keep King Jesus upon the throne of your uh, life. Okay, well, after considering all of these things, the elders and the, the people of Israel... They invite David to return as their king. Let's pick up now in verses 11 through 13. So King David went to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and uh, these guys were going to serve as David's negotiators amongst the people of Israel, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last of all of the tribes? Judah was the last to bring the king back to his house, to make that decision to once again enthrone David as their king, since the word of all Israel have come to the king to his very house. You are my brethren. Remember, David was out of the tribe of Judah. He belonged to the tribe of uh, Judah. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king, to make that decision? And say to Amasa, And who was this fellow? He was Absalom's general. So do you see how shrewd David is being here? Notice that again. And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? So Amasa, although he served as Absalom's general, was also a member of the tribe of Judah, the same tribe that David belonged to. Are you not bone and my flesh? God do so to me. And more also, if you are not commander of the army, before me continually in place of uh, Joab. So, as David evaluates all that is going on now, the reports and such, there is a surprising omission. Nothing is expressed by the tribe of Judah. And so he sends the priests to speak to the elders of Judah to convince them to bring David back as their king. And once again, as I've already suggested, remember Judah is David's own tribe. The reason why they were slow to address this subject and to bring David back as king, they probably, uh, most likely, uh, they're extremely embarrassed about having betrayed him. And they probably fear his wrath more than anybody 
else. Now, to an end, to end this impasse, and again, here's, here's another way to resolve personal uh, conflicts. Uh, to, an end, to end this impasse, David sends a message to his faithful allies through Zadok and Abiathar. And notice there in verse 11, there's a hint of personal disappointment in his remarks. He didn't expect a Judah to, to you know, act quickly in making that decision. Judah should have been the first to invite his return, but they were the last, according to verse 12. And then very wisely, shrewdly, David chooses this fellow, Amasa, who we were already introduced to as Absalom's general, and now he was going to put him in the place of Joab as the general of his army, David's army. And in doing that, he was showing the people that there would be no punishment for the guilty. So, what do we learn from this? Well, the innocent party will not seek retribution. So again, in your dealing with someone who you've had a broken relationship with, let them know that, they, that you will not, even though you might be the innocent party, you know, in, in this conflict that you're experiencing, let them know that there's not going to be, you're not going to seek any retribution. You're not going to trade evil for evil. You're just going to continue to leave yourself into the hands of him who judges righteously, who is God Almighty. Thus, the result, notice, Judah's fears are done away with, and they ally themselves single-heartedly with David. Now, a side note here, something also I want to draw your attention to. You know, this sudden change, according to our text, over Judah emphasizes the importance of the emotions in the process of reconciliation. I mean, there are all kinds of emotions that are you know, swirling around us when we're right in the middle of a conflict, when we're dealing with someone, right? All of these emotions are flying and, and uh, you know, we've been hurt, we've been injured, we feel as if we've been betrayed and, and uh, people that we've loved have betrayed us. And there are all of these feelings and emotions that we are dealing with. There are fears as well. Well, fear, as well as some of the other emotions that I'm going to mention in just a moment, can cause a blockage between the mind and the emotions. We should never be mastered by our emotions. All of those things can hinder the will from operating as it should, and therefore find forgiveness. In like manner, envy, jealousy, pride, or deceit can shut down the best attempts to bring two people back together. Isn't that true? And so never be mastered by your emotions. Again, just commit yourself into the hands of him who judges righteously. Just slip it on over to the Lord. Let him deal with it. Let him make all of the wrongs right. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. God used David in powerful ways, even after he had failed. And God can use you, too. 
Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.